Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of Privacy Laws, where I, Donata Strang-Skilbert, talk with amazing privacy professionals and have some laughs along the way. Today, we'll be talking about one of my favorite days and weeks of the year, Data Privacy Day and Data Privacy Week, uh, which is an annual celebration of all things privacy that takes place on the final week of January. My guest today is Lisa Plagmeyer, who is the Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Lisa has worked at Ford Motor Company, CDK Global, as their Director of Security, Culture, Risk, and Client Advocacy, was the Chief Evangelist at InfoSec, and the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Media Pro, which provided cybersecurity and privacy education. Lisa's mission is to eliminate stock photos of hackers and hoodies and inspire people to take action to protect themselves, their businesses, and communities from cybercrime. Lisa is also the winner of SC Magazine's Reboot Thought Leadership Award. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a bit more about your career and what got you interested in cybersecurity? I'm actually a marketing bozo. I came from the world of marketing and advertising. That's how I, I started out of college. I had the, 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 the luck to work for a big iconic brand like Ford. So that's a great place to cut your teeth on, on marketing because they just have a huge marketing machine, right? Between Super Bowl ads and, and racing and everything going on there, there's, it's a pretty exciting place to work. Then I went into automotive technology, and when I was in automotive technology, I worked for a company that had half a billion consumer records, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, everything you give when you go into a dealership to buy a car, all the data you give them in the finance office. And we were owned by ADP, the um, payroll company, or human resource management. I don't think they like to be called a payroll company anymore. But we were doing some thought leadership on security because we had, you know, our security program was part of ADP. So it was a more, we thought we had a more mature program than a lot of our competitors in the space. And so the, we decided at the time of the GPAC, if you remember that years ago, that we would do some thought leadership on cybersecurity in the automotive industry. The connected car was a new thing. There was a lot of buzz around that. So I got the chief security officer a speaking spot at J.D. Power, and we did all kinds of exciting things. And then we got ADP announced they were going to spin us off. And then we realized, like, we, you know, we've got to build a, a program from scratch. We have to start all over again. We're no longer going to be a part of the ADP Global Security Organization. And the CISO asked me to join the security team full time. And I said, well, I'm a marketing person. What am I going to do? He said, well, I want to keep doing all that thought leadership and we need incident communication. Somebody's got to sit in on every incident call and message out to the executives what's what's happening, you know, especially if it's a, a an incident that they're taking a special interest in. And then we need training and awareness. And I said, what's that? And he said, you know, that stuff ADP makes us do once a year. And I said, people hate that. I don't want to do that. And he said, okay, well, then let's do something more interesting. And so that's how I ended up being in security. And of course, sitting on incident calls, the only other person on those calls that I would say I related to the best or, or was the other sort of soft-skilled person was the, was the attorney, was the GC for the company. And so she and I worked together a lot, right? Any communications I was going to do to customers about an incident that had affected customers or employees or, you know, giving a talk, talk track to the support organization about an incident, you know, she was, she, we, she and I were working together on those communications and she was also responsible for privacy. So anything I learned about privacy, which is very, very little, I actually learned from working with her. 
So most of my privacy knowledge comes from the intersection of security and, and privacy because they'll, you know, the old adage, if it's not secure, it's, it's already by nature, not private. And then, yeah, then I just jumped to a couple vendors after that. And at some point I was on the board of the NCA and some, by some miracle, I ended up as the executive director. It's interesting that you mentioned security training. I was just putting together security training for our employees and my mandate was for every two slides, there has to be at least one meme. And I think it did pretty well. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's good. It doesn't have to be boring. It also doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And it doesn't have to look like it's from the 90s either. You know, you, right. can, you can try to have fun with it. Um, yep. So what does the National Cybersecurity Alliance do? What are its goals and, and what are your goals? Well, our mission statement is... is, is sort of lofty. We're about empowering a more secure, interconnected world. So we focus, We sometimes we think of ourselves as the training and awareness manager for the country. We're, you know, people who sign up to be champions either for Data Privacy Week or for Cybersecurity Awareness Month or who take advantage of any of our other sort of seasonal campaigns, whether it's romance scams around Valentine's Day or travel security during summer vacation time or holiday shopping any of the campaigns that we run, it's it's really to to get the message out to the end consumer. But when you're a teeny tiny nonprofit, that can be really challenging to do because breaking through the noise and rising above all the static with all the content that we're all bombarded with every day is can be really a tall task for a small nonprofit. So our large, largest cohort in our database are actually training and awareness managers. And they could be people running security campaigns in their organizations or program, you know, awareness programs or, or folks in the privacy field who, especially around Data Privacy Week, are trying to run some sort of employee communications campaign. So they utilize our, our content a lot. It's all free. Everything we put out there, all of our educational content is without trademark or copyright. So you can plagiarize to your heart, heart's content. One of the things we like to do our sample articles for like company newsletters, or they could be used as even like web copy on an employee portal. And it's because I just find it's, and everybody will identify with this. It is a whole lot easier to take somebody else's article and edit it for your organization than it is to stare at a blank screen and try and come up with something. So we, we, those are some of our most popular assets, believe it or not, something that simple just makes people's lives a lot easier to get the message out. We have we have other programs as well. We have a program to attract more HBCU students into careers in security, privacy, and risk. We have a small business education program that we're just revamping and kicking off at the end of February. The new version of it is going to be instructor-led, live instructor-led, remote, so that small businesses can ask questions because a lot of the content that's out there to help them doesn't have a way for them to get their questions answered. And let's see. All the other campaigns I mentioned, what else do we have going on? I feel like there's one I'm, I'm forgetting. But anyway, we have, we have a lot happening. We did launch one campaign this year or last year with the help of a, of a very generous anonymous donation. It was an organization that wanted us to do something really different. And so we, they wanted us to push the envelope, be a little bit edgy, get people's attention. So we created a, a video series called Cubicle. It's Cubicle spelled with K's. And the web, web, the URL is cubicleseries.com. And it is a comical series of short little videos. The premise is kind of like you're watching an episode of The Office or something, one of those types of shows that takes place in the workplace, only it's the workplace of the bad guys. 
So there's a ransomware department and there's a romance scam department and there's customer service to help you set up your Bitcoin account so you can pay your ransom and there's all, all those things. So that has, and the reason I say that we're, we've achieved some amount of success in the consumer realm with that is because we've gotten 8.1 million video views, which we're super excited about. And we're it was all for that. that. Yeah. We're going to have to add that into the show notes. That sounds really fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. And we're attracting people who are just like the demographics that we're seeing aren't necessarily people that are interested in technology or security. They're interested. They just want, they're looking for entertainment. They're people who, you know, like to binge the latest hot thing on, on streaming or whatever. And, and that's exactly what we wanted. We, we, there's so much security and privacy content out there that is written for people that already have an interest in it. And really we have an 80 20 problem, right? It's usually 20% of the employees are causing 80% of your problems and so how do you reach that 20%? Because they don't care. They're not interested. If you put security or privacy in the headline, they're not going to read it. So you have to kind of bury the lead and, and bring them in some other way, you know, with something entertaining or funny or, or really fascinating, interesting that gets their attention. And then you slip in a little security or privacy message in with entertainment. Yeah, I feel like all of us have such short attention spans and we've been mm-hmm. so spoiled by good TV shows or, or good movies and stuff that none of us have the attention span to watch like an hour long video. There's just like monotonous on, on training. So this kind of makes it fun, which I'm all for. Right. So speaking of, of people watching these videos and younger people who want to get into cybersecurity, you know, do you have any advice for young professionals? The first thing I'd say, if you're still trying to decide where you fit in the ecosystem, the first first thing I'd say is don't don't feel like if you're not a STEM person, there's not a place for you. You know, when we hold our campus events at HBCUs, we're we're reaching out to the business school. We're reaching out to you know, there's probably English majors that want to go to law school. It could very well end up with a career in security or privacy. One of the speakers we've had at some of those events is actually an an attorney who specializes in, in privacy and security issues. So we're trying to show young people that it's not just, you know, the 24 seven eyes on glass jobs that, that are available in the, in the field. I mean, I'm a living example of that, right? Risk any kind of GRC role. It's really helpful to have a general business background and it depends on the role, but I had a CISO tell me once that he could teach me, as a marketing person, he could teach me enough about security that I could do the job he was asking me to do, but he couldn't take a security person and teach them about marketing. Like it just didn't, it wouldn't work because the core skill set that's more important and the intuition and the characteristics and the traits of, of, of somebody who's going to be successful in like a training and awareness type job is probably somebody who's comes from a soft skill background. So that's the first thing I'd say is, is don't feel like you're not welcome in this community if you're if you're not a person in the who's strong in in STEM. And then I would say because it can be so I mean frankly it can be really discouraging, right? There's a lot of burnout in the field and especially if you're at an organization that has a very high risk appetite. I've worked in that environment before or you're at an environment where there's just not strong executive support for the security program. It the the sense of community in the security world is 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 crazy. Like find your tribe, you know, and your tribe might not be people that you work with every day. It might be folks that you meet at Black Hat or RSA or 
people that you meet at your local ISACA meeting or ISSA meeting or OWASP chapter or, or whatever it is. So I would encourage people to get involved and, and make sure you have folks you can vent to, people that will support you, people that will give you some guidance, because security teams can, can be, you know, depending on the organization, sometimes they're not as integrated with the business as they could be. And you just feeling like on an, you're on an island is no fun. <laughs> and especially if you're at an organization with a high risk appetite and you feel like you're doing all this work and, and they're kind of not taking you seriously or, or not implementing some recommendations and you're, you're, you know, you feel like it's Sisyphean, like don't go through that alone. Find, find colleagues to talk to about those situations and seek out mentors and, and guidance within the industry. There's so many communities when it comes to privacy and and cybersecurity. It's kind of crazy. When I was in private practice before this, I did contracts law. And there wasn't all of this, you know what I mean? Or the communities that there were at like the Illinois State Bar or Chicago Bar weren't that active. But if you join the local bar, you join the IAPP and you join like the privacy and security groups, they're like constantly talking about things. And there's always listservs where if you have questions, you can send in a question and you get all these really nice responses of people trying to help you. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I have the impression, I mean, I worked at a $2 billion organization and we had one person doing privacy, right? One lawyer. So, and I don't think that's unique. I think in a lot of organizations, the privacy team is one person. So, you know, you're, it's going to be hard to bounce ideas off of somebody else within your organization or get have some guidance or a place to vent. So I, yeah, I completely agree with, with what you said, like join some of those organizations and get involved and find your tribe. Absolutely. So let's get into the main topic of of today, which is data privacy week. So can you tell us a little bit about data privacy week and, and what it aims to accomplish? So it's, it started in Europe years ago. It was Data Privacy Day. A couple of years ago, we decided to make it Data Privacy Week. We were speaking to chief privacy officers who were telling us that, oh, I run a campaign in my organization that whole week. I just take your materials and spread them out over a whole week. And we thought, well, then we should make it a whole week, too, and give you more materials and make that easier for you to do. It's just as much of a lift to run a campaign for a week as it is for a day. So we, we now give it a whole week. It's really, you know, at the, at the at its highest level, it's to get, you know, attention from people who normally aren't aren't thinking about this topic, and just to to raise the level of discourse about it and and increase the number of impressions we're getting on on things that are privacy related, like just trying to get more attention to it, press attention, all those kinds of things. It helps when you have a, a dedicated campaign like this that's annual. One of the things that that we're seeing, and, it, and you'll see this in research that's published all over the place, is um, that young people actually care more about their privacy than about their security. I think it's more immediate. It's it's more personal. It feels more tangible to them. Everybody's had the experience of having their privacy violated in some way. You know, if a teacher grabbed that note you were sending to your friend in class, <laughs> like even the simplest examples that go all the way back to childhood, you know, we've, we, we know what that's like to have our privacy violated. Security can be one of these things that's just kind of happening off in, in space somewhere and, and people really, it's not as tangible, it's not as immediate, the, the, the fallout from it isn't as, as personal or as tangible or as immediate as, you know, having your privacy violated. So I think that's one of the things we've really tried to 
lean into because we see a demographic that's that's starting to have more concerns and care more about this. So we call it Data Privacy Week, but it also does involve cybersecurity. Can you just talk a little bit about how the two relate? Yeah, I think it comes down to some of the behaviors that we're trying to encourage. So we're we're hitting on the same sort of behaviors that we talk about when we talk about security. So it could be watching out for fish, um, using MFA, not using the same password over and over again, or or even one that's similar. You know, so maybe trying to use a password manager so that you can improve your password habits, and keeping things patched and updated. Like those those four core basic security behaviors are applicable to keeping keeping your information private as well. We also emphasize a lot during Data Privacy Week, paying attention to your, we kind of advise people, this is the one time of the year that you can remind yourself to check your privacy and security settings on all the apps that you're using, things like that. This year, we're partnering with Consumer Reports on on an animation that should be done in the next week or two, right before Data Privacy Week. And the we kind of, it's kind of a day in the life of an individual who's, you know, traveling and who, you know, buys a new, buys a new connected device and catches a, catches a flight on a trip and just all the different ways that that person's data is collected through all those different interactions that we all have all day where we kind of don't think twice about sharing our information. And along the way, we kind of give a few tips on what this, you know, what you should be paying attention to as you travel, as you give an app access to certain data, things like that. So we're going to point people to Consumer Reports' new, well, relatively new, what is it called? The permission slip. Sorry about that. They have an app that makes it easier for you to take control. And it was featured on 60 Minutes a couple months ago. It's a, it's a, we've been really impressed with it. It should be pretty easy for consumers to, to, to use. So one of our pieces of advice this year is going to be to take advantage of that Consumer Reports permission slip app. That's such a good point that people don't realize all of the places in which their data is being collected. You know, like, let's say I get an Uber to take me to the airport. Well, Uber knows my trip, my payment details. It knows where I'm going. It knows where I just left. It knows all of this data about me. And then I go into the airport and there's cameras everywhere. And then right. the, the border patrol is potentially doing biometrics and and all of those things. And then I present yep. my ID. And then, yeah, it's, it's kind of mind boggling to think about how many data collection points there are just when you go on, on a trip. Yeah. And, and all the apps that you use while you're traveling, you know, it's, it all comes down to what you agreed to when you started, when you downloaded that app, you know, so you might want to go look on Expedia or Travelocity or, or the airline app or whatever it is you're using and make some changes. And so that's what we, we try to, because I think for a lot of people, it's not clear you know, yeah, okay, I feel like my data is all over the place and I don't feel like I have any control of it. I, what, what can I possibly do about it? This is, the horse is already out of the barn. It's too late. And so that's what we're trying to say to people is that starting and taking some control is better than not doing anything at all. It's not going to completely fix itself overnight, but, <laughs> but getting started, like getting people off of that inertia of not doing anything at all, that's probably the hardest, the biggest challenge for the campaign. Absolutely. So how will you be celebrating Data Privacy Week? 
we're going to be doing a lot of webinars. <laughs> so I think we have four webinars that week, if I'm not mistaken. We have one on children's privacy with Kalinda Reyna, the chief privacy officer from LinkedIn. We'll do one about data brokers with consumer reports. And they, there's two or three more that we're still that we're still working on. So we will have virtual events happening all week long. We'll be busy with our social media posts that we're doing. That'll you know there'll be a lot of privacy related posts that week. And then we've you know we've we've put out our toolkit. So if you sign up to be a champion for Data Privacy Week, you get an email with links to all the assets that are in our toolkit. So if you're listening to this now and you think, I don't have time to, to run a campaign, we have done all the work for you. If you download all those assets and give them to your corporate communications team or whoever's doing your internal communications, your mar- marketing team, whoever it is, you, you know, the, all the heavy lifting has already been done. So it's not too late to, to do something in your organization. That's really cool because I think a lot of companies get intimidated by the idea of making their own graphics or writing their own email copy, especially if they're not necessarily privacy experts. So this just helps people save a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah. And because we're a nonprofit, we're not a vendor. We Not there's anything wrong with vendors, but it's easier for our stuff usually to get approved. I, I was at a large financial services institution last year giving a talk in person and they showed me actually on their company Slack, they've got approval, like automatic approval for everything we produce because they, they know we give sound device and it's not, it's not biased in any way. And so the, whatever we put out on our social channels that day, or maybe there's a new uh, page of content on our website, whatever it is, it goes straight into Slack and straight out to the whole company. So they've actually streamlined the review process. (laughs) To kind of keep the drumbeat of security and privacy issues going within their organization. And so it's content that's already built. They don't need to do anything except paste it into Slack. That's awesome. Um, which I thought was, I was really excited to see that. I thought that was yeah. great. That's really great. So one of the purposes of Data Privacy Week is to educate people about how they can protect their privacy and security online. Can you give us like three simple steps that people can take to to protect themselves? So I think, you know, there's those basic things that that we talked about that that apply to both security and privacy, those four core behaviors of um, MFA, good password habits, keeping everything updated and patched and looking out for phishing and smishing and phishing and all those things. Beyond that, I would say it's the other sort of easy behavior, I'll call it, like something that anybody is capable of doing, even my mom and my kids, the people I like to pick on the most, is is updating all those links or apps to your privacy and security settings. So what one of the things we've done to make that easier for people, because frankly, a lot of times when a social media organization, for example, does updates to their product, they will move or change some of the security or privacy settings And so it can make it really hard for consumers to find all that. And guess what? Not every social media app puts those in the same place on the app, right? Like it's just, you're, you're having to navigate through all of it and it's, there's no consistency there. So we have a page on staysafeonline.org that has links to not just social media apps, but like all the apps that people use that takes them straight to the privacy and security settings that we're recommending that they adjust. So, so we've tried to make that really easy for people. And I think that's, the, that's a really good first step. I think it's important to realize that people don't, you know, you don't give somebody a piece of advice and they just turn around and implement it. Like we don't make, as human beings, we don't make changes that abruptly 
or that easily. We're creatures of habit. We are sometimes very unmotivated <laughs> to do certain things. Just ask any of us who's, that are struggling with our New Year's resolutions right now, right? It's, it's, motivation is a huge, huge part of our decision-making process. It's, it's one of the keys of behavioral science. So asking people to do too many things at once is not, not usually a great idea because they're, they're probably not going to do any of them. And that's one of the reasons why for the past two years for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, for example, we focused on the same four core behaviors because giving people a laundry list of things to do just means we're not going to move the needle on, on any of them, most likely. So we're going to keep talking about those same four core behaviors until we start to see better adoption across the board or the technology landscape changes in a way that, you know, we don't have to worry about passwords anymore, for example. And, and I would say the same thing for privacy. We're, we're, we're going to keep preaching every year about adjusting your settings on the, on the apps that you use because it's something that not enough people are doing and it's probably the low-hanging fruit. It's, it's probably, you know, one of the easiest, most impactful things a lot of people can do. So that's, that's our sort of baseline advice. And when we get enough people doing that, then we'll move on to something more advanced. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it's just the idea of having to go into each app and finding the place where to adjust those settings is just so overwhelming because yep. you immediately think it's going to take like an hour just to find the right place. Right. If you have all the right links. Oh man, that's a huge barrier that's just gone. Yeah, and I think it's it's a more it's it's a more practical, tangible thing that people can do. Asking people, for example, to read all the T's and C's of of mm. of everything, every agreement, you know, for every app that they're downloading, that's a pretty tall order. Most of us aren't attorneys, and they're probably not going to take that advice. You know, when I'm if I'm traveling in a in a town and I don't have a restaurant app on my phone and I'm hungry, I'm going to just I'm going to you know download that app as fast as I can just to find the closest place to eat. And I'm, I, my hunger is more important to me than reading those T's and C's. So asking people to do something like that when you're fighting, you know, human nature, it's, it's just a tall order as opposed to asking somebody to maybe pay some attention to the settings on that app as opposed to, you know, reading pages and pages of legalese for the average person. Yeah, even those of us who are lawyers sometimes download apps without reading everything. So. Oh, sure. I've heard plenty of attorneys tell me that. Yeah, we're, that's, we're humans. Yeah, but I think one of the things I'm going to do for Data Privacy Day is finally unsubscribe from the thousands of emails <laughs> that I've somehow been subscribed to. Um, so that's one of the things I'm going to do. Which that's I'm, a good one. Or to having my inbox not be just absolutely destroyed by spam. So we'll see if it works. But So another purpose of Data Privacy Week is to educate businesses about how to respect the privacy and security of individuals. Why is that important? I think, you know, for a lot of organizations, the, uh, the legal landscape is getting, you know, the legislative landscape is getting more complex. We're, you know, we're seeing... In, with a lack of any federal action, we're seeing more and more states take action. And I think businesses are just more, you know, there's a com compliance issues that they didn't have maybe five or 10 years ago. And so I think, especially for large companies, it's been something that they've been working on, on tackling because they have to. I think the bigger challenge here is for small businesses. 
And, but one of the things I'd like to suggest, even to the large organizations that are fully compliant, you know, you know, a lot of organizations will choose the most stringent privacy law and then, you know, tune themselves to that so that they're not chasing different, different state regulations because it's it's just too complicated. So we're going to pick the one that kind of is the most stringent. And then if we know if we comply with that, we're, we're complying with everything else. I think there's another question there about, you know, just because you can do it, should you do it? I think there's, and I think that's kind of what's bothering consumers, especially when it comes to children's privacy right now, you know, just because, and I've, I'm going to botch this. What is, what is a, the, they're considered a kid. What is it? Age 13 and under online. Yeah. Just because that's what the, just because that's the standard today, does that mean that, that's the company that you want to be. Do you, do you believe, is that the kind of organization that you are, that you believe that a 15 year old should, you know, is, is quote unquote an adult for, for the, for the purposes. So I think there's actually, you know, sort of a marketing question around like, how does this affect our brand? If consumer sentiment is telling us that people care more about privacy than even the, the, the legislation would imply because I think there's a big disconnect right now between consumers and policymakers. So do, do you, are you measuring yourself against, you know, the policy or are you measuring yourself against consumer sentiment? And so there's questions around ethics. There's questions around your brand. You know, it, I think it's become painfully obvious in my lifetime, you know, during the, the, as we've entered the information age that the government can't keep up it's moving too quickly. So, you know, if you look back to when telephones were a new thing, (laughs) you know, the regulation happened pretty swiftly with new technology advancements, you know, a hundred or 150 years ago, it's just not keeping up anymore. The the pace is too, is too fast. So do you, do you really want to set that as your standard, that regulation that, that is probably lagging what, what consumer consumers would say they want? It's interesting. I feel like over the years, I've seen a lot of studies start coming out where basically the study shows that consumers care more about their privacy than ever before. And they're actually using that to make purchasing decisions. Mm -hmm. So to me, that means privacy isn't just about avoiding fines or avoiding lawsuits. It can be a competitive advantage too. Yes, it absolutely could done the right way. Yeah. And then, of course, there's those stories you hear about companies who will just, it's cheaper to pay the fine than it is for them to change their product or change their practices. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I would say that that's a discussion to, you know, if I'm the chief privacy officer, maybe I want to be talking to the chief marketing officer. Maybe I want to be talking to the head of customer success or, or those other leaders in the business that are more in tune to what the market is looking for, as opposed to what the regulation is telling me. Absolutely. So how can someone become more involved in Data Privacy Week? Can you tell us a bit more about becoming a privacy champion? Yeah, if you just go to staysafeonline.org, there are places on there to, there's probably a few different places to sign up to be a champion for Data Privacy Week. If you find the Data Privacy, I think there's a promo box on the homepage that has Data Privacy Week on it. And then from there, you'll see all the different webinars that we have planned for the week. You can share those with people in your 
you know, employees in your organization, it's, those are meant for, many of them are meant for the general consumer. We do have one or two that are more aimed at, at chief privacy officers themselves, but, but some of them are just about interesting topics, like the one about data brokers or the one about children's privacy is fantastic for parents. Well, you probably have a lot of people in your organization that are also parents. So remember that this content is relevant for them in their personal lives, not just in their, in their work life. And when you get them thinking about something for the benefit of their family life, their home life, that will kind of overflow into the way they perceive privacy at work as well. So that's why we put content out there that's beneficial both for businesses and for individuals. So you'll see that schedule of webinars, and then you can also download all the assets, the free assets that we have available. So there'll be that animation. There's already tip sheets and suggested articles and, and things like that. There's a graphics package. There's a, there's a Data Privacy Week logo. Um, so we've tried to make it really easy for you to run an awareness campaign in your organization. Very cool. So Lisa, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me today about Data Privacy Week and what businesses and consumers can do. Um, for everyone listening, please make sure to subscribe to Privacy Laws so that you do not miss our next episode. Thank you.